0: listening to Think Funny with Aaron Donnelly, Nate Sadler, and Matt Donnelly. For show notes and to check out Aaron's books, please visit aarondonnelly.com. And now, the show that only thinks it's funny, the Think Funny Podcast. Welcome to the Think Funny Podcast. This is Aaron Donnelly. I'm here with my co-host, Nate Sadler. Hey, everybody. And Matt Donnelly. Hello, fellas. Today we are continuing our This Week. What's it
1: called, Nate?
2: This Week in History. E. E.
0: <laughs> How was you guys' this week? Anything you guys found interesting this week?
1: I came across a new conspiracy theory slash mystery that I hadn't heard of before. Uh, it's called the Salish Sea Feet Discoveries. I don't know if you've heard of this, but evidently, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. feet have <laughs> severed feet. And shoes have been found along the coast of British Columbia and Washington State. Yes, and uh, they like, I didn't know how to
2: name, but yeah, I've heard of yeah, it. Yeah,
1: okay, um, but yeah, it's the first time I read about it. But it's it's fascinating because I didn't know like when you you know when your when your body is disposed of <laughs> in the sea that the bottom feeders will will feed off your ankles first, and then the shoes because they have air in them will float, and the sea I guess oh. the winds like blow it toward the shore. And that's, that's why scientists think that the, all these severed feet are showing up on shore, but other people are like, you know, is there, is it really that way? Or maybe there's a, um, a serial killer with a foot fetish out there. It would be a body fetish. He would not like feet. He'd leave the he feet. Not, yes. He didn't want the feet.
2: So he cut off the feet, and threw them away. Right. So there's a dude on the shore in British Columbia with a foot fetish. That's like, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's like every day he's finding one he's like, oh yeah, come to Papa. <laughs> and he's got a whole like woodshed full of severed feet. It's like <laughs> a message in a bottle. You guys, have you heard of NFTs?
1: Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: So I've been fascinated with NFTs lately and I... That's I no don't... surprise. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> of the get rich quick aspect? Yes. So um, I like that. I like the art part, but I don't know anything about art or uh, coding so I can't make one but mm-hmm. I do want to get rich quick so <laughs> I I used to think there's no honor in getting rich quick like you have to get you know if you get rich you do it through hard work and that's honorable. Yeah, I screw that I, I want to get rich. I want to do what Beeple I don't know if you've heard of Beeple he's the guy that sold one for 69 million no yeah. There's there are I've seen like on Twitter people have them up for you pay for them like in ethereum so it'll be like 42,000 ethereum or whatever and it's like right. like it'll be a pixelated picture of a monkey or something and it's it goes for 600,000 and I'm like what what why am I not doing this so mark my words I'm going to get in on this NFT game I'm going to make tiny little NFTs
0: yes it should be a picture of Don LaPre
2: Ooh, I wonder if i get in trouble. Well, ah, who cares? He's dead. So.
1: <laughs>
0: I had one thought this week, and I'm going to say something that's not politically correct in our woke society. Yes. And that's, I believe women have been holding us back from acceptably peeing in bottles. And it's not their fault. It just comes from a lack of understanding. For women, urination is a process. For men, it's as simple as a wide-mouthed Gatorade bottle discreetly hidden between the cushions of a couch. So... I do think that, why aren't we there yet? And sometimes I wonder if it was a man-only world if we would be way far advanced in urination bottle technology. I think Howard Hughes set us back with the milk bottles. Anyway, I I just thought I'd throw it out just to start the conversation in culture. This week we are covering the dates of September 26th through October 2nd.
2: This week in history.
1: September the 26th.
0: 1983, Stanislav Petrov, he was working at the early warning system uh, in the Soviet Union for nuclear attacks by the United States. The word start appeared on his screen and the radar showed five nuclear missiles on their way. Uh, being launched from the United States, it said the information had the highest level of reliability. So it was his job to pass on that information to his superiors to launch a counterattack. But he knew that if he did it, that it would cause a nuclear war, even if if it was an error. So, just three weeks prior, the Soviet military had shot down a Korean Airlines uh, flight, killing everyone, including sixty Americans, and also the culture. Uh, The Soviet Union at the time, the KGB, was that they were definitely anticipating a a preemptive strike by the United States. So he had all these people like looking at him and wondering what decision he's going to make when this is on the screen. He said he thought he had about a 50-50 chance it was real, but he also kind of thought, you know, I think it's illogical the United States would only send five missiles to start the war. So he told them to report it as a false alarm. And it was, in fact, a false alarm. It was a malfunctioning in the system. But later, in true Soviet form, he was reprimanded for not correctly documenting the incident uh, and reporting it as an attack. So he basically stopped uh, World War III from happening. Jimmy Heselden. So Jimmy Heselton is a high school dropout and laid-off coal worker. He designed and built bomb-proof barrier walls that the U.S. military now uses around the world to protect bases, and he made a bunch of money doing that. So he got really wealthy, put a bunch of his wealth back into his community, and then he bought Segway Company. You know those little Segways, people? Uh, there was all the rave. A short while later, he accidentally backed off a cliff on a Segway and died on September 26, 2010. Whoa,
2: that's how I want to go. First person to go over Niagara Falls
0: in a barrel twice, uh, John Monday did it for the second time in nineteen in nineteen ninety three. This whole barrel business. First of all, why put yourself in a barrel? That would like seem like the last thing I'd want to do. Shards of metal and wood surrounding you and Wait, uh
2: so you don't like this. I love the Niagara no, I, Falls in a barrel thing.
0: I like it. I'm just curious as to the barrel concept. I I dug into this. Did some research on people going over Niagara Falls. So, uh since 1850, more than 5,000 people have gone over Niagara Falls. Most are suicides. Only 15 people have actually survived it. The first one to go over in a barrel uh, was a teacher, uh, Annie Taylor, in 1901. She did it purely for money. That was her stated reason. I'm just doing this for publicity and to make money. After she got out, she said, nobody ought to ever do that again. (laughs) Uh, She ultimately died in poverty and was buried near Niagara Falls.
2: (laughs) My question with that has always been, do you have any padding in the barrel or do they just put you in the barrel and put the lid on?
0: I think she was just in the barrel. Oh yeah. There's another guy that went over the, in a barrel and he had some strapping to strap himself in. And he had to be identified by the tattoos on his right arm because that was all that was left of him was the right arm holding onto the barrel. Ooh. Um,
1: what happened to his feet? Did they, <laughs> <laughs> Did they wash up on shore?
0: There's a guy at the other side of the little lake there. <laughs> Come to Papa. So it's actually, there's a fine now for jumping. If you sur- I don't know, it's $25,000 if you attempt to jump off uh, Niagara Falls. But my favorite one is 1995, Robert Overactor, he attempted to ride a jet ski over Niagara Falls <laughs> with the plan of deploying a parachute that would allow him to land in the lower Niagara River. <clears throat> the parachute did not deploy... And he died So, <laughs> But there is a awesome The most totally radical photograph of all time Is the jet ski flying off the end of the falls And he's up in the air with like Raising number one
2: in the sky Going down in a blaze of glory <laughs> <laughs> That's just playing as he does that
1: September the 27th
2: September twenty seventh, nineteen thirty four is the birthday of uh, the person who I used to use as meme all the time until it meant something a little more personal to me. Wilfred Brimley. Yes, uh, I used to use the diabetes meme all the time, and I don't use the diabetes meme anymore because it's not quite so funny anymore. <laughs> but uh, the thing I love about Wilfred Brimley is uh, he looks like he never smiled ever right but it's and hidden
0: he's got a hidden smile under the mustache
2: is it under there it might you be wonder
0: how, you wonder how many smiles are hidden by mustache over i, like, I feel like in the late mid-century 1800s there was a pandemic of hidden smiles
2: well i'm sure the teeth was uh <laughs> part of that <laughs> September 27th, 1989, several Soviet children claimed to see a spacecraft land, and a 10-foot-tall, three-eyed alien with a robot escort exited from the spacecraft. Uh, This happened in Voruzna, Russia the aliens used a pistol-like object that made one of the boys witnessing this disappear. He reappeared shortly after the aliens had left. The incident was reported by the Russian news agency, uh, the TASS, which claimed that the Soviet scientists had confirmed the landing of the UFO and said the aliens left behind two chunks of rock that were never found on Earth before.
0: It feels like somebody lost their little brother and made up this story and then he came back and they found him. Like, That's funny. By the funny. time they were finishing this Story. That is exactly what I thought. It Was the robot escort? I'm picturing like an escort. Like <laughs> I
2: didn't even, I didn't even think about that. angle <laughs> working the street corners in Vladivostok,
0: or maybe it was a Ford Escort.
2: 19. It could have been 90s. Yeah. Do you remember my dad's white Ford Escort? Was it tricked out? Like God, the, it was awful. It didn't, the, it didn't even have room for one person. Really, it was just
1: <laughs> the worst car ever.
0: Matt, remember Grandpa? He was six four. And he always had
2: an escort. He had a yeah. red escort,
1: and it got yeah. passed down to me. And I, I drove it for a little while. You had
2: that mm. Mustang, didn't you? You had a '90s Mustang.
1: Yeah, I had a '90s Mustang convertible too. That I uh, did had you put load. a bullhorn on the hood or my? I... I did. Yes. Yeah. okay. <laughs> for a short while.
0: That. For a short
1: while,
0: I, I had it. I, I remember gun smoke cigarette. The smell of gun smoke cigarettes <laughs> and Eddie Money tape playing in the hot iowa sun it's a sweet ride man oh and then the other story about that car that just continues to blow my mind every time i think about it is when you took it into the mechanic and has having engine problems and the guy goes okay this is gonna sound crazy but here he goes but here's what you do you get it up to 65 on the freeway then put it in reverse for two seconds and then put it back in drive do you remember him telling you that
1: yeah I forgot about that. <laughs> Worst advice from a mechanic ever. <laughs> Did you try it, Matt? no. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Maybe he was like a psychopath
2: and
1: so you, you like want to path, see if man. I would do it. I don't know what would happen if you put it in reverse going 65. I don't even I know. Think you,
2: I think you travel back in time. 1785. John Fitch displays a model and drawing of his steamboat to the American Philosophical Society in Philadelphia. Yes. And all I can picture is, you know, there's a bunch of learned scholars there and like Ben Franklin's there and he's like- it's a
0: bunch of hidden smiles.
2: Yeah. He's, he's just thinking and he's like, hmm. And he goes over and he just taps him on the head, knocks him out and takes the blueprints. I have invented the steamship.
0: Can you imagine being at the Philadelphia Philosophical Society of Men and how secondhand smoky you would smell in there? Oh, a, lot of, a, lot rich, pipes, a lot of pipes. Yeah, a lot of Rich mahogany.
2: A lot of wigs. W H.
0: And I feel like everyone had a perpetual toothache.
1: September the twenty-eighth. September twenty-eighth is uh, world rabies day. Or it could be world rabbis day if I read it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Big 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 difference everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Rabbis
0: with rabies podcast. (laughs) <laughs> there might be one out there yeah,
1: There could be one There probably is We've opened up the line to
2: callers No callers 1889
1: It was the first meeting Of the General Conference on Weights and Measures Nate And they're, uh, yes. still, they're still there The General Conference like on Weights car. and Measures Did they bring their barley uh, <laughs> No, but they define the length of a meter as two lines on a standard bar of an alloy of platinum measured at the melting point of ice so what i know i read that like 10 times trying to figure it out Uh, i still don't know what it means but that's what that's how they uh, came up with the meter
0: i know now the meter is defined with using the speed of light it's the it's like a long decimal point number The amount of time it takes for speed of light to travel, whatever. So it's like exact now, but it's always funny to see.
2: Why are units of measure always? It's the length of 16 grown men end to end from the door of the church in whatever town.
0: Yeah, but it is kind of weird to think that like there was no standards even for time, like what time it was.
2: Mm-mm. I don't know if you guys have ever been through like Chattanooga, Tennessee, but that's like right where the time changes. Wouldn't that just constantly mess with you all day? Mm -hmm. Like you work for a furniture store and you have to do deliveries and you have to go to Jasper and then back to Chattanooga and then up to this town, then to Nashville. And then all day you're going back and forth through time zones.
0: And then you know what else drives me nuts is that there's two Kansas cities. Mm -hmm. Yes. I hate that. And they're not that far away and they're both large. It's like in the different States. It's like,
2: what? How many times do you think that's ever happened where somebody's like, oh, we're going to have it in Kansas city. And somebody's just waiting in the other Kansas city. Yeah. Well, what we've
0: done a couple of times is order star or order something to pick up like Starbucks and then,
2: but have it be the wrong Starbucks. So we get to one and it's like, no, it's like way across town or. I hate Starbucks. My daughter used to make me go through the drive through all the time and say like, I would tell my daughter before I'd order, I'm like, you know that your dad really loves you, right? To say Vente Bellini Peach Iced Tea Breezer.
0: Oh, yeah. I don't even talk. I lean back and let Jenny Uh talk over me.
1: 1928, first recording session in Nashville took place, band by the name of Warmax Gully Jumpers. Uh, They were an old-time string band who performed a lot on the Grand Ole Opry. Their big hit, the album they recorded, had two songs on it, uh, the Tennessee Waltz, but not the one that's famous, but a different Tennessee Waltz. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the little red caboose, um, but when I thought when I read that, I thought all I could think about was the grand old Opry and like watching it as a kid because nothing else was on and forced oh.
2: to watch it and it was so boring. That's a Sunday night at Grandma's. Yes, show. that's yeah. all I
1: could think about when I read that. like uh. the
0: level of humor that makes them that passes as humor on the grand old Opry stage. Mm.
2: It's a what I call cracker barrel humor. What was the name, Matt? Um, Old-timey string band? Old-time
0: string band. But when were they not old-timey? If it was 1928, are they still old-timey back then? At what point were they just new-fangled? New technology string band? September the 29th. I have the father of modern parapsychology was born, uh, Joseph Banks Rhine, in 1895. Now, He came up with the concept of ESP and came up with cards with little wavy lines and squares and circles on them. Originally, he was shown that he could prove above average that he had ESP, but then once they correct for some experimental flaws, uh, no one could replicate what he did. So essentially, he created nothing, I guess. But (laughs) anyway, the thing that's interesting to me about ESP is that we essentially have it now with the use of computers. So it's called radio-enhanced telepathy. It actually exists. It's, you know, people controlling things with their minds on a TV screen, etc. But Elon Musk's company Neuralink, he's working on implanting a device in our brains that opens up bandwidth uh, in our brains to accept and process information faster. So it grabs information from our brain Moves it to an external computer which can process it faster than our brains. So it kind of gives us like a a cheat. And I guess his motive for doing this is that he fears, well, yeah, but he, he fears the future of AI in computers being too powerful because the difference between the human brain and the computer is the computer just can process much, much faster. And so he wants to sort of integrate humanity into ai in order to prevent the ultimate takeover of ai at some point to sort of give us this edge i don't know i kind of think you jump start to something like this and you think oh it's bad but i don't necessarily i want to step back and not be sort of post-apocalyptic and to think well maybe maybe it's good maybe the future will be better because now is better than the past the world today is better than it has ever been
2: Um, by many technologically I would say well
0: by many many metrics especially the you know for the most poor uh, quality of life you know lifespan education amount of free time that they have all that stuff's better so maybe the future will actually be better than it is I'd like to see a movie like that where like it's just a rom-com and it's just in the future and it's not there's no nefarious force it's just better in the future.
2: I had an idea for a story once about a android or a robot. The robot was not very good at its job. <laughs> like it was <laughs> it was programmed to do like one or two menial tasks in a factory and like all the people hated it. People treated it like shit and I don't know. Like a
0: sad robot that's in a wife beater in the in a basement apartment. Well like you just it's looking at its life
2: just eventually lashes out. Interesting. And it tried to always like keep it to itself. And then ev- eventually it just kind of goes all falling down on you. Yeah. So
0: I had a, not a similar story, but it reminds me of teleporter telekinesis. But in my novel, the main character writes a bunch of short stories. And so one of them was a story about a guy that created teleportation, but he became obsessed with just teleporting uh, shit into the, <laughs> Bowels of people on live TV, (laughs) and so, and that's that was his complete complete obsession, and he never made anything of it of his life.
2: September the thirtieth, September thirtieth, two thousand nine. Guy Le Liberté, a Canadian billionaire, became the first clown to travel to outer space as part of a space tourism program. Uh, unlike previous (laughs) space tourists uh, la liberté declared his interest in space travel was not scientific but artistic Uh. (laughs) i hate everything about that story
0: i like the beginning of it clowns in space
2: canadian billionaire clown outer space and artistic (laughs) there's just a lot of words in that sentence i don't like (laughs) 1846 the first successful tooth extraction using anesthesia is performed by dr william morton i just love that it's the first successful one
0: this is how i say life is better now we didn't have novocaine or anything anesthesia until not too long ago so what did you do just drink Mm -hmm. get drunk before you went to the
2: dentist that's what i do before the podcast (laughs) (laughs) that is the funniest thing that's ever been said on this podcast (laughs) Uh, but uh, I used to as punishment to myself for not taking, cause I have really bad teeth for not taking care of my teeth. I would always say no, Novocaine just do it as
0: punishment as, to yourself. Yeah.
2: It'd be like my penance for not taking care of my teeth and it would but be you
0: grind your teeth right Nate?
2: Yeah. But I also used to have a lot of cavities and stuff, but like that was my penance is no, Novocaine mm-hmm. and it would just be agony. Oh, I just sit there and writhe in the chair and would be like, you, Please need to take some, and I'm like, no.
1: Would it change but your behavior? Then, Did you start brushing your teeth and flossing after that? Eh,
2: well, now I really don't eat much sugar, yeah, so that's it's true. Not really a problem, but uh, yeah, I started taking Novocaine. I had a tooth, an upper tooth, replaced not long ago, and I'm like, give me double Novocaine.
0: Oh, I think that shows progress, maybe somehow psychologically, Nate, for you, self acceptance.
2: Nah, I'm pretty far gone, Aaron. <laughs> Uh, September 30th, 1935, uh, U.S. President Franklin D. Roosevelt, terrible president, dedicates the Hoover Dam. 112 people were killed as part of the construction of the
1: dam. Dam? <laughs> Did he need- <laughs> yeah, Hoover dam. Didn't even ride over on a jet ski across the dam? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how Franklin
2: D. Roosevelt—they—they uh, <laughs> they threw his limp body up on the jet ski and just. <laughs> Have you guys ever heard any of the conspiracy theories about? Hoover Dam. People think there might be a secret base inside of it, or there's. I, I really like the conspiracy theory of it hiding something from history.
0: I smell a Nicolas Cage
1: movie. <laughs> October the 1st. 1890 Congress creates the weather bureau which to me seemed pretty odd to create a weather bureau in 1890 because what technology would they have had back then to Balloons. predict the weather i guess once they got the once they got yeah. word of something happening like weeks later they would say you know write something on it sounds like
0: something that was sold to them by a snake oil salesman mm. using these balloon technology we will be able to predict storms and tornadoes the modern man
2: did you know the first recorded hurricane was like in 1930, I think? Or 30s? Really? Well, that's wow. when the government uh, developed the technology for weather control. So,
0: Did the name start with
2: an A? I think so, yes.
1: So, so what were they doing for 30 years? In 1952, the first UHF TV station premiered in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I remember w- watching some channels on that, uh, but it did not take off like they probably hoped it would. Well, what's the difference? Is that's the
0: one where you had the little dial that turned and it was a bunch of numbers? Yeah, it was
1: the it's it's uh, it stands for ultra high frequency. Uh, so yeah, it had the, it had the, a bunch of numbers. It had the tiny numbers. Yeah.
2: You guys have seen the Weird Al movie, right? UHF? Yeah. yeah.
0: And it's got Michael Richards, yeah. uh, Kramer. In Who it. wants to yeah. drink
2: from the fire hose. Uh, Weird, <laughs> but, Al, Weird Al's a treasure.
0: Uh, he is. Is UHF... Remember how you would get scrambled porn back in the day? Before... This is like you know pre-digital TV. It was all... Every once in a while, we'd sit there and try and decode what we were seeing. <laughs> Every once in a while you catch a breast if you watched it for like a solid fifteen minutes.
1: You're like <laughs>
0: I do not know what you are talking about. <laughs> yeah. Who is broadcasting this?
1: <laughs> Weird Al.
0: And who would get it clearly? Yeah. It was over the airway. Right.
1: right. Somebody right. got, got it. Know. Somebody got it in clear. Maybe there's were like to right. on the
2: record that I'm not part of this conversation between these two right now.
0: John Hinckley Jr. stocks President Carter. So we know that Hinckley uh, tried to assassinate Ronald Reagan uh, and failed. But before that, uh, in order to get attention from Jodie Foster, he was stalking president Jimmy Carter. Um, He got within six feet of him actually. So when he became obsessed with Jodie Foster after watching taxi driver, where she was like a teenage uh, prostitute, Robert De Niro's character was planning to assassinate a presidential candidate. And so Hinckley you know, to his credit, he uh, tried to get a hold of Jodie Foster in other ways. He he wrote her love letters. He slipped stuff under her door and her dorm at Yale University. Uh, she didn't reciprocate. So he thought that you know, if I did, if I was important enough as she is, or famous enough, that I can get her attention. So Plan B uh, he is
2: ne- kill the president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: But he's been released from prison now, and he has a YouTube music channel where he sings original songs and has over nineteen thousand subscribers. Whoa. October the
2: 2nd.
0: Twilight Zone premiered October 2nd, 1959. The very first episode, it's called Where Is Everybody? It's a guy, and he goes to this town, and it's completely abandoned. There's nobody there, but it looks like people are living there, but then he can just not find anyone for the whole episode. Turns out that uh, you learn he was actually in a hallucination brought on by a 484-hour stay in an isolation chamber uh, meant to prepare him for a solo voyage to the moon. So they pull back and he's like, he's like an astronaut that the United States is trying to train in isolation to go to the moon. Man, talk about a deep... That's, that's fascinating. The themes of that is, is fascinating. The, the last closing narration, I'll read it. It says, The barrier of loneliness, the palpable desperate need of the human animal to be with his fellow man up there in the vastness of space, in the void that is sky. Up there is an enemy known as isolation. It sits there and the stars waiting, waiting with the patience of eons, forever waiting in the Twilight Zone." That's great. That was a good show. The original uh, Twilight Zone pilot was called The Happy Place, uh, but it wasn't filmed because they thought it was too dark. It was about everyone is executed at the age of 60 being considered no longer useful to society. So. Sounds like
2: Logan's Run. Have you seen that yeah. movie?
0: No, I haven't. Weird, but good. I Sometimes I think about like what would be a cool Twilight Zone movie, and I would like where something is it, that is uh, different than normal, but completely and totally like unaddressed throughout the entire movie, like a movie about Jonas Salk, working on the cure for polio, but everyone in the world is wearing Fez hats, but it's not mentioned. So he's like stressed out in the lab one night and he puts his Fez hat down on the desk in front of the camera and wipes his brow. And you think they're going to explain finally the Fez hats, but he just puts the Fez hat back on and keeps working. (laughs) And it is just not addressed. You need to develop that story. Robert Gibbon Johnson uh, died October 2nd, 1850, He ate a tomato in front of the Salem, New Jersey courthouse, shocking onlookers and proving that they were not poisonous as generally believed. So, people thought that tomatoes were poisonous. Reportedly, a woman screamed and fainted at the sight of him eating the poisonous tomato. (laughs) So, some history on this. Wealthy people in Europe, they at one point were eating sliced tomatoes, but they were eating them on pewter trays uh, and people were getting sick. So, they thought it was from the tomatoes. It was actually from the lead poisoning from the trays. Mm. But the rumor and the message got out that tomatoes were thought to be poisonous. But uh, thank, thank God for Robert Johnson to go and eat a tomato <laughs> and, and live. It wasn't
2: until 100 years later when L. Ron Hubbard put those <laughs> electrodes on a tomato and found that they yes. were safe. <laughs>
0: I wanted to give a shout out to uh, thisdaytrivia.com. We get a lot of our research, uh, in depth research from that website. It's a great website for this day in history. It's yes, uh, fun absolutely. information. So, yep. Everybody, check out thisdaytrivia.com.
2: Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Think Funny podcast, the This Week in History editions with Aaron Donnelly, Matt Donnelly. I'm Nate Sadler. Thanks for listening. Going down in a blaze of glory. <laughs>
1: Thanks for listening to Think Funny. If you enjoyed the
2: show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, and tell a friend.
0: If you have comments or topics for the guys, you can email them at thinkfunnypodcast
2: at gmail.com. And check out erondonley.com for today's show notes and much more.